What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Kaori Gomez on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Kaori, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. All right. Well, thank you. Hi, Shelly. Hello, ladies. I just wanted to start and thank you, Shelly, for creating this platform and kind of allowing all of us to heal ourselves and each other through sharing. And I wanted to thank all of the ladies before me who have shared because every single one of them has made a really big difference in, in my journey at least. And so my story, I know most people's stories kind of start with their relationship, but for me, I feel like mine kind of starts um, from when I was a little kid. So I had always wanted to be a mom. Like my mom always tells a story of when I was just like six years old and I saw a little girl on the TV that was like my same age and I just fell in love and was like oh I want one so ever since I was really really little that was just kind of all I wanted was to be a mom and to have a family and then once I became an adult I just kind of surrounded myself with it and I had originally wanted to become a midwife and so I was working towards that but uh, this last year just recently my boyfriend kind of helped me um I guess, kind of revamp my career. And so now I'm working towards specializing in pregnancy and uh, birth massage therapy, and then hopefully become a doula eventually. So I just kind of say all this to kind of um, show that my whole life, at least my whole adult life, I've kind of surrounded myself with pregnancy and birth. And there's always kind of a focus somewhere going on in my life, whether it's, you know, books or research or YouTube videos. Um, always constantly just surrounded by pregnancy and birth. So it's kind of really set me in my ways of, I kind of had my idea of how I, how I would be pregnant and how I would birth and just kind of knew what I wanted to do. And was really, really excited and anxious for, you know, my turn to experience this ultimate experience. Um, and then, so I met my boyfriend in late 2017. And from the start, we were both really open about the fact that we wanted kids in a family. And so that was, you know, one of the main things that had attracted me to him. And we were both just kind of on the same page about that. But we had never actively tried to conceive because we weren't really in a position in our lives or careers where, you know, we, we felt ready, but we knew it was something that we wanted. And so we weren't actively trying and we were pretty cautious, but I hadn't been on birth control for about six years at this point, And I just tracked my cycle. So eventually uh, Jesse leaves for a week to go to his best friend's wedding. He was the best man. And so he's out of state. And the night I was going to pick him up from the airport, I decided to take a pregnancy test. And I'm just kind of one of those people that, you know, it's always on my mind. And so I probably test myself every single month to see whether I'm pregnant or not, knowing, you know, that I'm damn well not pregnant most of the time. 
Um, so I figured what the heck, my period was supposed to start in a couple of days. And I just took the test, not really thinking much of it. And it immediately turned positive. And I kind of didn't believe it. I was in complete shock. So I took another one. That one was also positive. I sent a photo like to my best friend right away. I was like, do you see this? And she's like, oh my God, congrats. And I just was in total shock. I didn't really have like an immediate emotional response, but I kind of felt like, like, oh my God, like this is it. And didn't really know what to do. So I just kind of took a shower and sat with my emotions. I had a couple hours until I had to go pick them up. And I was just in utter disbelief. You know, I sat there and I cried and I welcomed my baby into the world. And I thanked my baby for, you know, choosing me and Jesse to be its mom and dad and was just really, really excited and in awe, you know, that this was finally my time. I was like, oh my God, like it's finally my time for this. So I was super excited. I didn't really have, you know, a whole lot of time to do anything really exciting for my boyfriend. So I just kind of put the two uh, tests in a little gift bag and then I went and picked them up from the airport. And surprisingly, I, I waited all the way until we got home. It was like a 45 minute car ride until we got home and it was pretty late. And then I just handed him the bag and he was so flustered that he just like dropped everything onto the ground. He dropped the tests everywhere. Everything just like scattered everywhere. And he was stuttering over his words like, what is this? And so I kind of had to, you know, be like, yes, like, you know, it's real. I'm pregnant. And we were both kind of silent and kind of like sitting with it, I guess, because we hadn't been trying. So it was kind of, I think we were both kind of feeling each other's reactions out. And I was a little bit nervous to see how he would react just because, you know, I knew we weren't trying, but we both wanted it. And it started sinking in and I could tell that he was excited. So I was really able to relax into it. And there was no question from the start, like, we're doing this. This is great. You know, so we, we both got really excited right away. I, I don't think either of us had any thought in our head about, you know, any possibility of anything going wrong, even with all the research that I had done and, you know, knowing what I had known about pregnancy and birth, I, just like everyone else, you know, you always think it won't happen to you. So we told everybody right away. Like I did not wait at all. I think I told everybody the next day. Um, he had kind of wanted to wait a little bit, but you know, like just because he's a private person, not because he was worried or anything. I was so excited. I went out with my best friend and we went out into the forest when I was barely like six weeks pregnant and took maternity photos. And I very briefly debated uh, like not announcing on social media right then and there. But that was very short term and I announced it right away. I was super excited. Um, I had, you know, all the pregnancy symptoms. I was super nauseous all day, every day. I had horribly sore boobs. I was insanely moody. Like I remember one day I just started bawling because my boyfriend like didn't tell me my dress was pretty. And then I started like hysterically laughing while crying because I realized how ridiculous I was being. And it was, it was just a mess. And I was super exhausted. So everything seemed fine, you know, seemed like how you should feel in pregnancy. And again, with everything I knew, I, we were both like really naive about how to go about a pregnancy, I guess. And my whole life, 
for like birth control or any type of uh, women's health care, I had usually just gone to like Planned Parenthood. So I was like, okay, let's go to, you know, Planned Parenthood and they can confirm because I was under the impression that you had to like confirm that you were pregnant by a doctor um, and that they could refer us to some midwives. And so we decided to go and it was just a super weird experience because like as we're pulling up, there were protesters outside and, you know, they were yelling us at us like as we're walking in and it was just kind of a weird you know we wanted to like rush over and be like no like you know we like we're keeping our baby um but we went inside and the lady at the front desk I told her that I was pregnant and I was there to confirm and to get some referrals and she was just kind of like oh like are you wanting to keep the baby and we were like yes and so she told us that they could not um, help us or see us there if we were wanting to keep the baby. And I was just like dumbfounded by that. I, I guess I was, I had never really realized that, you know, that's, that was the deal there. Um, so they did actually give us a referral list of midwives. So I guess it worked out anyways. Um, so we left there and that was just kind of like a weird experience for both of us. Um, so we did eventually, you know, hook up with some midwives and schedule for our first appointment, which was at about seven or eight weeks. And it was fine. It was normal. You know, the midwives seemed fine. Um, everyone agreed to a home birth. We were, you know, super hands off, didn't want really kind of anything extra in this, you know, pregnancy. And I declined everything extra. And we just did the basic lab work, which had come back I had um, high thyroid levels and so they sent me to my regular doctor who did end up um, putting me on some medication and then other than that I was like mostly vegan at the time um, so not very surprisingly I was pretty because I wasn't doing it very well I was just kind of like doing it not smart um, and so I was pretty deficient in like some vitamins and minerals so I had to get some different supplements like iron and calcium and stuff like that. Um, but nothing super important, nothing super, you know, concerning. Um, so that was kind of it for the first appointment. And our next appointment was going to be at around like 10 weeks. So between that time, physically, everything was fine. I, you know, everything seemed totally normal. I didn't have any bleeding, no cramps, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, but mentally, I did have like a bit of a block. And for whatever reason, I just, you know, I was doing my visualizations and stuff. And I could not imagine myself, like in my mind's eye, um, full term pregnant, or with a baby, like as a mother, like I could see myself, you know, at this early stage, but couldn't really see kind of the end goal there. And it kind of got to me, but I figured, you know, didn't really think much of it or whatever. Um, but in this time, there were a few other things that looking back, um, definitely kind of, I guess, was an indication that somewhere I knew something was wrong. Um, before I had, you know, been singing lullabies to my baby, like every single day, and I just stopped that suddenly and didn't really, you know, think much of it. And then um, I started like obsessively meditating every single night. I would, you know, put my hands on my belly and just repeat like a mantra over and over in my head. Um, 
my baby is perfect. My body is perfect. My baby is perfect. My body is perfect. Just like willing it, you know, willing it into existence, but also like being very optimistic, you know, at this point and not really kind of realizing that mentally I'm not doing so great. Um, and then the only other weird thing that happened during this time was my mom calls me one morning and she's really worried about the baby because of a nightmare that she had and a little backstory like my family's been super weird and we've always been really kind of connected through our dreams and whenever there's something big going on in our life um almost without fail one of us will kind of call the other and we'll have had a dream and be like what's going on um but I didn't want to hear it so I completely just like did not even entertain that and shot it down I was like no baby's fine everything's fine um didn't you know read into that at all and despite all this you know we're we're still feeling great about everything you know physically I'm fine um nothing that we notice at the time that we should be worried about so the next appointment comes around and as we're leaving I'm like walking out of my bedroom and I catch like I catch my eye in the mirror and I just hear this like overwhelming loud voice that was very very clear in my head that was like you will not hear a heartbeat today and I was just like oh like it kind of stopped me in my tracks but then I you know we were kind of in a rush I was I was going out the door and I, I again just kind of brushed it off and was like oh it's you know I'm sure every mom feels this way and it's first time nerves and not a big deal didn't think much of it <clears throat> so we get to the appointment and we you know get to where we're gonna hear the heartbeat and we've been really excited you know this is this is our heartbeat appointment and so the assistant puts the doppler on my belly and you know she's looking around but after like it was like 15 seconds of her looking i just knew that we would not be finding a heartbeat that day and she tries, you know, she tries really hard and then she can't find it. So she gives the Doppler to the midwife and she starts pushing a little harder and trying a little harder and she also can't find anything. So I was just like, oh, I knew it, you know, but still wasn't kind of thinking the worst. I was just kind of like, oh, I knew I wasn't going to hear the heartbeat. Um, everybody, you know, was still confident that it was still early the midwives, you know, weren't overly concerned. They were, you know, told us that we would for sure hear it at the next appointment, but they gave us the option. They gave us a referral for um, an ultrasound clinic if we wanted to go, or we could, you know, just wait for the next appointment and hopefully hear um, the heartbeat then. And so we, you know, talked about it very briefly, but we both, you know, I was very hands off from the beginning and didn't want um, any ultrasounds. If we were going to get any, it would be the anatomy scan, but I was still on the fence about whether or not I even wanted that. Um, so we were like, no, we don't need it. Um, we'll just wait. So we didn't have an appointment for about another like two weeks. And the next two weeks, I, you know, handled it pretty well. I was pretty optimistic. I, I felt like I was okay. I felt like, you know, things were going to be okay. Um, but on the other hand, I was still kind of like obsessively meditating every night on my baby and my body being perfect. And I had developed um, some low back pain that was 
like super consistent. And I just kind of thought that it was part of pregnancy. And then my symptoms um, started going away at this point. And, you know, I was reaching, um, you know, 12 weeks. So I was kind of just thinking that this was me moving into my second trimester. And I remember even like being at work and commenting on, oh, I feel so great. And, you know, I wasn't nauseous anymore and I wasn't as exhausted and was, didn't even think anything of it, was kind of excited for the second trimester. Um, and, you know, we were both still moving forward like everything was fine. Uh, my boyfriend had bought me the hypnobirthing course and we started, you know, buying a couple things here and there. I was taking weekly bump picks and, you know, we were just going on as normal. Um, so our next appointment came and we are now about 12 weeks, maybe 12 weeks, a couple days. Um, and everyone, you know, was super confident that yes, we're gonna hear the heartbeat for sure today. And we go in and still just can't find anything on the Doppler. At this point, you know, I'm not even surprised. Um, I am worried, now I'm worried. But for whatever reason, I'm really not freaking out. And I think I was just naive, you know, unless, unless I'm bleeding and spotting, then things must be fine, you know. Um, but I am worried, so I ask how common it is to not hear a heartbeat at this stage in the pregnancy. And my midwife says that she has seen it not very often and never with anybody with my body type, which I'm just regular size, um, you know, I guess a little thinner, but she said that she had seen it um, happen sometimes with larger women. It can be harder to find early on. And so that kind of worried me a little bit. And then she was still not really acting very concerned. I think she was just trying to, you know, control herself, I guess. Um, and she asked me if I had any reason to believe that I was no longer pregnant, like had my symptoms gone away. And so that kind of hit and I still, you know, wasn't really accepting anything and told her that my symptoms had, you know, started kind of going away. But we both kind of just remarked on that it could very possibly be the fact that I'm going into my second trimester now. So that kind of didn't really get us anywhere. Um, and so again, she gave us the referral for the ultrasound, um, left it up to us, and scheduled us for about a week later. And so we debated the ultrasound again. And I was pretty worried. I, I kind of wanted to go. I was on the fence. But, you know, me and my boyfriend talked it out. And he's been amazing through it all. And he evidently listened a lot more than I thought he did about, you know, when I talked about my ideas of pregnancy and birth and stuff. And um, so he really supported what I had, I guess, originally, you know, wanted with it being just super hands off and just kind of letting nature take its course. And we, you know, talked about if we did go get an ultrasound, ultimately, it wouldn't make a difference, you know, either way. So we, again, decided just to wait it out. And at this point, we're worried, but we're optimistic enough that we go ahead and we bought and ordered the sneak peek, like early gender uh, blood test. And so we were still kind of just being optimistic, moving forward, not putting anything on hold. So about a week later, I'm at work and I go to the bathroom and I wipe and I see bright red blood. 
and it wasn't a lot. It was just spotting, very small amount, but it was bright red and I just immediately, I knew. So I leave work right away and I call the midwives and tell them what's going on. And so they get me in to get what they called a viability ultrasound, a viability scan uh, later that day, which I think that kind of hit me hard. Uh, just the whole name of, you know, viability. It's like, oh, like this could, you know, really be happening right now. Um, and so I immediately call my boyfriend and he leaves work and meets me at home. And it wasn't for like a few hours, um, our appointment. So we had some time at home and we were, I think we were just like really avoiding what was going on because we acted super casual. We just, you know, showered. I wasn't bleeding. I wasn't cramping. I think we even had sex. Like we were just totally not even really like in the moment of what was going on. Um, and then we head to the ultrasound. And then when they check us in, for this viability scan is when it really started to kind of get serious for me. Um, and so we go back there and, you know, I'm laying on the table and they have the big screen where it's, so it's like projected on the wall above us so we can see everything that's on the, the ultrasound screen. And so the tech puts the wand on my belly and right away I see my baby, um, just laying, you know, totally still at, at the bottom of the sack, just not moving, you know, nothing at all. And you can just tell, you know, right away. Um, and the tech says very casually, she's just kind of like, oh yeah, I don't see any heartbeat at all. And I just was kind of like taken aback by the way that she had said it. Um, and I looked over at my boyfriend and it, it broke my heart because I could tell that he wasn't really understanding what was being said. Um, and so I, I think I reached for his hand at that point. And then um, I think that's when he kind of, that's when he knew. And then the tech kind of caught herself and was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I know what you're going through. I just experienced one myself. But again, the way she even said that was just kind of like super casual. Like it was just like, you know, oh, it's another day, like no big deal. And we just kind of didn't really appreciate that. Um, but we didn't really have much of a response at that point. I don't think we said a single word. Like we were just silent and just held each other's hand. And I didn't cry at that point, I don't think. And she, sat there for a few minutes taking her measurements and took some photos and she told us that the baby was measuring at nine weeks exactly and then um left us in the room to you know go get the doctor and uh, the doctor would explain everything and give us our options so she leaves us in that room and I don't even, I have no idea what, I don't know if we even said a word to each other. It was just the most silent, heaviest silence I have ever experienced in my life. And it seemed like we were in there for ages. Looking back now, I don't know if they were just like trying to give us a moment together before they brought the doctor in or if they were super busy or what, but it just seemed like 
way too long. And I was getting, you know, more and more worked up about the fact that I knew my only option, you know, was going to be doing this natural. And I didn't need to speak to a doctor just to have him tell me things that I didn't, you know, didn't care to hear. Um, so I wanted to leave. I was, I was getting kind of pissed at this point. Um, and I think, I think I told my boyfriend to go kind of like find the doctor. I'm not even sure to be honest. Um, and so they came in, the doctor finally came in and told us that it is what they call a missed miscarriage. And, you know, the baby was nine weeks and told me, you know, the three options and kind of started trying to like go into them. But I already knew what the options were. Like I said, I knew my only option was, you know, natural. So I just kind of said that very quickly. I was like, no, I'm, I'm doing this naturally. I want to go home. Um, and so they, they were just like, okay, and let us go. And then um, didn't make us like do any of the sign out process or whatever. They were like, you know, we can email you and figure that out later. So you could just kind of get out of here. Um, so, so we get in the car and head home. And that was just the worst car ride home of my entire life. You know, right when we got into the car, I just, I broke down. I immediately started sobbing and we just had no idea what to say to each other, you know, what to say for ourselves, what to even think or feel. And we both just kind of silently cried on this awful car ride home. And I think we stopped at the store and got some maxi pads and like a bottle of wine. Um, and I think they had prescribed me like some nausea medication. So we picked that up. And then we went home and just kind of waited for things to happen. Um, I immediately got into a bath right away and I was still like very much in shock and not really having the emotional response that I would have expected myself to have in a situation. And was just kind of, you know, kind of staring. Like I didn't, I don't even know what was going on in my head. I, I feel like it was just kind of empty. Um, and then the midwife eventually calls me to check on me and she had got the results from the lab. So she knew, you know, what was going on. And she asks, you know, how I'm doing and kind of goes over what I should expect and asks if I have any questions. And and I asked like what we were supposed to do with our baby. And that's when I got emotional was when I asked that because, you know, I had no idea what we were supposed to do. You know, I didn't know what, what really to expect with all of my, you know, research or whatever about pregnancy and birth. I had really done like absolutely none, you know, about miscarriage. Um, so I kind of knew the gist of it, but didn't really have any idea about, you know, I guess none of us do, you know, what, what to do. Um, and so she told me, kind of very kindly told me that, you know, with the baby being so small and told me the whole thing about um, it not being considered, I guess, a real baby, you know, until 20 weeks. Um, so we couldn't do any type of, you know, official uh, birthday or, you know, whatever they do, a certificate of birth, stuff like that. And said that, you know, some people bury their baby and 
some people do something special, kind of like you can do what you want type of thing. Um, and so, so now I'm emotional, you know, now it's, now it's kind of hitting me that I have to, you know, even ask that question. Um, and, but nothing, still nothing's going on. You know, I wasn't bleeding anymore, really. Um, so we're just kind of waiting, waiting it out. And then later that night, I finally, you know, started cramping and it turned into full contractions, you know, within a couple, a couple hours. And thank God, looking back now, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't, you know, lose, go into labor, I guess, uh, shortly after this appointment because I didn't even really think about the possibility that like this could go on a lot longer and that I would have to you know be walking around knowing that my baby was gone inside of me and so looking back I'm, I'm really thankful that things kind of you know happened that day um so my cramps are now full-on contractions <clears throat> you know uh I, I start bleeding, bleeding super heavy. Every time I go to the bathroom, I'm passing clots. Um, the contractions, you know, to me, it was very obvious that like, this is labor. And so I kind of put myself into that mindset of like, oh, I know what to do. You know, I'm prepared for labor so I can do this and kind of just got into the zone and I was laboring through the contractions. I was working on my breathing. I was on my hands and knees. It was pretty bad. It was way more than I ever expected and just like horrible pain. Um, I was over the edge of the couch a lot. And I, you know, through the worst of the contractions, I even, you know, was having my boyfriend put like counter pressure on my low back and stuff like that and just kind of helping me labor through it. And um, I was kind of going through waves of emotion, like it would go back and forth between me kind of feeling good about being able to work with my body and feeling like I was, you know, doing what I needed to do, but then it would hit me what I was doing, you know, and that I was birthing kind of, you know, my dead baby. And so I'd kind of flip flop between feeling, I guess, quote, okay, and then just breaking down. And at one point I remember just breaking down. I wanted my mom so bad and, and she was only, you know, like a 30 minute drive away and I debated having her there. She wanted to be there for me so bad, but I felt like this was something that I needed to do and me and Jesse needed to do um, together as a family. And, but I definitely had a moment where I just felt like, you know, a lost little girl who, really needed her mom but knowing that I could have her if I needed her was was enough you know that that helped a lot um and so this kind of just lasted late into the night and this whole time like almost every single contraction my poor boyfriend he had no idea what to do with himself and just kept asking what's wrong you know what's wrong what's what's happening and he was all I was losing my mind with the what's wrong questions. And I was just like, isn't it obvious what's wrong? You know, like, what do you mean what's wrong? Um, and so that kind of made me concerned about like the, his ability to kind of be a birth partner for, 
for future uh, labors and births. But, but he was fine. He was super supportive and just, you know, wanted to know what to do. Um, and during this whole time, kind of through this all, we're both debating and talking about how, like, we have no idea what the hell to do with our baby. And, like, we're frantically looking for little things that we can, like, put it in and talking about where the heck we can't bury it. Like, we're only renting our house, so we don't want to put it here. Um, and just totally distraught about the fact that we had to figure out like what to do with this baby um but we did eventually fall asleep and then I wake up a few hours later and I had this like overwhelming pressure and so I I run to the toilet and as soon as I sit down I hear this really loud pop and everything just falls out in like one big gush and I immediately like all the pain was gone I just felt like such a huge physical relief I felt totally fine like it was just like immediate so I knew you know I kind of knew that like that was it and that that was you know my baby in the toilet there um I again didn't really have like any emotional response to that I was in complete shock I think my jaw was like hanging open um I yelled for my boyfriend multiple times and he just ugh, would not wake up. Like we had had a long night and he was just in like the deepest sleep. I don't know how he did not wake up. Um, but I kind of, I kind of took it as like, well, you know, he must need to kind of sleep through this, I guess. So I let him sleep and I kind of got myself cleaned up and changed my pad and sat on the toilet and just kind of sat there a while and debated reaching into the toilet and all I could see was blood and I knew my baby was in there but I had no idea what to expect what to look for you know I was my boyfriend was you know 10 feet away but I was all alone and I just frankly didn't have the balls like I did not have it in me to dig in that toilet and and see what what I got out of it um so I I flushed it and and I kind of just went back to bed like looking back now I'm like wow you know I, I really there was no kind of I didn't give myself like a moment to really process what was going on um and I just kind of flushed everything and chose to be done with it and went back to bed um and then we woke up in the morning and, you know, we were kind of holding each other and I just kind of quietly told him that it was done and I had to flush everything. And I could tell that that was kind of a hard thing for, for him to hear and for him to process, which, you know, made me feel not great. And, you know, I still to this day kind of struggle with a lot of guilt over doing that, but you know, we all kind of do, do our best in the moment. And that was, that was what I had to do. Um, so that was kind of the end of, um, our first, our first loss. Um, and life after baby was very, very hard. Um, I did not, I didn't go get checked. I didn't even call. I didn't return a call. I was just over. It, it was like, I'm fine. 
I don't need to talk to or see a doctor. I didn't ever want to, you know, hear a midwife again at the moment. Um, I went back to work right away, like in a few days. I just, I don't think I knew to take time off. You know, I wish, like my work knew what was going on. I, I wish they had kind of, I guess, reached out a little more and kind of offered me a little more options. Um, and it was just way too much. There were some customers that knew I was pregnant. And so I, would, I was hiding from them in the back and I was breaking down and I was just, it was just a mess. And I ended up quitting with no notice um, and just started doing Uber Eats. So I was like, screw it. I can't, like, I can't do this right now. I just need a schedule that I can make for myself. And like, I need, I need some time to process this. Um, and so I did that for the next like half a year. And it was, it was good, but it gave me a lot of time alone uh, with my thoughts and grief hit really, really hard. Um, it hit about a month or two after, and I had never felt anything like this in my entire life. Just physically manifesting my pain was something I had never experienced, but only heard about. And I just remember, um, you know, seeing a baby or just just thinking about the fact that like I was going to be a mom and I'm not with would literally like knock the wind out of my chest and I wouldn't be able to breathe. And it was like, I got, you know, punched in the stomach sometimes and I would literally get nauseous and just like a knot in my stomach. And I'd never really understood, you know, that saying until, until then. And, um, and I, you know, my chest would get tight and I could physically feel my heart just aching. And it was just so hard. Like I was just in the throes of it. And we had no idea how to grieve or talk to each other or be there for each other. And so we really weren't like at all. We didn't really talk about it. We, you know, I'd bring it up every now and then, but we never, we were never really there for each other. Um, so it was a very lonely time. And Jesse, my boyfriend, had also quit his job. He ended up quitting his job about a month after mine, uh, after I quit mine. And we were both just really angry and depressed and our relationship suffered. And, you know, we were constantly fighting and just had all of these emotions and nowhere to put them. And our due date was um, December 15th. So the holidays started showing up. And that was really, really hard to, you know, because we had all these plans. We both love the holidays. So we were really excited about, you know, doing the holidays with family, being pregnant, and then, you know, having our Christmas baby. And my sister-in-law had just had a baby. And so I knew that, you know, the holidays I would have to go and see my baby nephew and, I was just angry. I was so angry. I lashed out at everybody. I yelled at all my family. I was just so mad. And we ended up kind of ruining the holidays that year and we didn't spend it, you know, like I, I went and like shortly visited my family, um, Christmas day, but it definitely was not, you know, a good Christmas that year. Um, and other little things would just pop up and trigger us like the midwifery office. They, 
they sent out, you know, an annual like mommy and me uh, meetup invitation a few months after we had miscarried. And I was just like dumbfounded by that. It's like, wow, like, you know, somebody needs to be doing better uh, there. And that really, really upset me. And um, and so it was just hard. It was just kind of one thing after another. Um, and I had eventually started thinking of my baby as a girl. I had always thought that she was a girl and Jesse had loved the name Lily originally, which I immediately was like, absolutely not. I did not like that name. Um, but I thought it was super special and started thinking about the first pregnancy as my daughter, Lily. Um, and then I did start changing my diet a little bit to um, fix my thyroid issues naturally. So her due date finally came on December 15th. And I woke up that morning and I curled into my boyfriend and I just sobbed into like the depths of my soul. I don't think I've ever cried that hard in my whole life. And he just held me. We didn't even say anything. You know, there was nothing to be said. And I let it all out. And then I was, you know, I was kind of fine after that. Like, I thought it was going to be a horribly hard day. And kind of after I felt what I needed to feel in the morning, I, I was okay. Um, and so I spent all day going out and finding uh, little gems and uh, feathers and stuff that I wanted to make a dream catcher for my baby because that was going to be the first thing that I planned on making for my babies was a dream catcher. So I figured I would still do that. And it ended up, you know, being really healing for me in a good day. And we have the dream catcher has been hanging over our bed ever since and kind of, you know, reminds us of our baby every night before before we go to sleep and every morning when we wake up. Um, and life became a little more bearable after after the due date. It seemed a little less, you know, there was a little less weight on my shoulders. Um, and then and then coronavirus hit. Um, and I got laid off of work fairly early into um, 2020. And so we, you know, Jesse was still at work at this time. So we were spending a lot of time at home together and we weren't as safe. And, um, you know, before we knew it, we had unprotected, you know, unsafe sex um, during my ovulation days. And I just immediately, I knew, like, I knew the day that it happened. It was like, I am pregnant. And I went out and I bought prenatal vitamins like the day after. Um, didn't really say anything. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm just being crazy. Um, but I started taking prenatals and started acting as if as if I was pregnant. Um, and, and then we went camping like a week after that. And I was walking along the river and I found this chunk of pure crystal quartz and I just knew that it was, you know, a sign from the universe, you know, giving me this gift, telling me that, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm getting my rainbow baby. And it just really validated me. Like I knew I was like, oh my God, like I'm actually pregnant. It's silly how like that's, that's what made me know. Um, but I was like, for sure. So two days before my period, I decided to get a test. And I don't, I don't really know if I had symptoms. I, I know I didn't have sore boobs because I kept checking for that because that was kind of one of the first things in my first pregnancy, but I, I didn't 
um, and I felt a little bit nauseous, but, but the test immediately comes up positive and I'm in total shock and again, just kind of emotionless, which seems to be my, my go-to. Um, and so I call Jesse up on the Alexa and just kind of like shove the test at him and it's like, I'm pregnant. And we're both, again, just very casual about it. Like we were both just like, like, whoa, what, really? And just like, yeah, okay. And then went downstairs and hung out with my friend who was over at the time. And, you know, we told her, uh, she knew she was with me when I got the test and stuff. And so we all kind of, you know, talked about it, but we're like very, very casual. And I think, I think we were just very hesitant to, you know, get excited right away. Um, and so I still, I immediately told my family and friends, um, again, I was just so excited for my rainbow baby and, you know, thought for sure we would get our baby this time and, you know, what are the chances of it happening again? So told my friends and family and Jesse had, my boyfriend had wanted to wait. So I agreed to wait to announce it, um, on social media until we had reached the second trimester. So, and then with, with coronavirus going on and with kind of how the world was crazy, you know, at the time, um, and with our experience with the midwifery appointments before, um, and how we kind of just felt like they didn't really tell us much or do much there. Um, and it was pretty triggering for us to just be going back and forth, you know, not, not hearing a heartbeat and just being worried each appointment about the baby that we talked about it and we're just kind of like screw it we're going to do this on our own and um so we agreed to just kind of go with the flow and not seek prenatal care unless something came up and you know i was pretty confident that i would know uh when when to seek care if that was needed um so which was actually really nice like so we just kind of relaxed into it um family was skeptical at first but they you know they quickly kind of got on board and supported our decision and i figured that i would eventually you know hire a doula that attended unassisted home births and just kind of uh unofficially you know train my boyfriend and my best friend on uh different birthing situations so that they could kind of be there for me um and I bought myself a Doppler and just started doing lots of research. And everything seemed great. It seemed amazing. I had all the symptoms. Um, everything was going just fine. Everything was normal. I, I was scared. And, you know, looking at the toilet paper every single time I wiped. But I kept saying how, like, at peace I felt about this pregnancy. And, I you know, now I could imagine myself... Um, fully pregnant and I had a dream where I was holding a baby boy and I was walking and I just stopped in my tracks and looked down and was just like oh my god like I did it like this is a live baby in my arms and it's mine and he's mine and so I kind of really took that to heart and you know was like this this is going to be it this is going to be great um we were going on walks I was taking all the vitamins I joined all the you know all the online groups and everything seemed fine. Um, like I said, I got the Doppler. And so I started looking for a heartbeat at about seven weeks, which I knew, you know, I, I wasn't going to find anything really then. Um, and it started really stressing me out, like as nine weeks got closer and closer. 
because nine weeks was, you know, when we had lost, when the first baby had stopped growing. And so I wake up, I'm exactly nine weeks and I just talked to my baby and I basically begged my baby. It was like, please show yourself today. Like, let your mommy hear you. I cannot handle this if I don't hear you today. Um, and I found the baby's heartbeat like right away. Um, I yelled for my boyfriend and he came upstairs and I show him the heartbeat and we listen. And then I just burst into tears. And I was just like, oh my God, like we never heard that before. And it was just the most amazing sound. Like I was just, I was just dumbstruck, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really believe it. Um, and, and now, now things are really, really starting to sink in and get exciting for us. And we're starting to, you know, think that this is going to happen for us. Um, and we had ordered the sneak peek and I think it was that same day we, we did it and we sent it away and we got the results, you know, about a week later and found out we were having a baby boy. And we both knew that, you know, our first boy would be named after my boyfriend. And so it was baby Jesse. And we were so excited about that. Um, and soon after this, so very soon after nine weeks, I start spotting. And it's not very much, um, always light pink or brown, only when I wipe, never really in the toilet. Um, and it, it was really consistent, but I had no cramping and I was checking the baby with a Doppler and, you know, he was fine. So I did lots of research and kind of came to the conclusion that I probably had a subchorionic hematoma and that it would likely heal on its own. And there wasn't, you know, much to do about it. Doctors weren't going to do much about it anyways. Um, so I kind of put myself on modified rest and, you know, felt like, we knew what was going on and it wasn't super concerning and um, we're fine. You know, we felt optimistic and still we're just felt totally fine about everything. And the pregnancy was progressing and we started planning for baby boy. You know, Jesse is constantly watching YouTube videos of, you know, different uh, little toy toy races that they'll do, you know, when he's older and all these things that he's going to do with his son and I'm buying things and, you know, we're just making all these plans and, and so excited. And so my parents, they had decided to take us to the Olympic Peninsula as a late birthday present for both of us. Mine and my boyfriend's birthdays are like 10 days apart. Um, and I was about 12 and a half weeks at this point. And so everyone's aware, you know, that I have, a, that I've been spotting and I have a hematoma and, you know, so we're not walking very much. We, you know, we take it easy all weekend. And I spotted throughout the whole weekend, but not much, nothing concerning. Um, but then on the ride home, and it's like a, it was like a five hour car ride. Um, I start spotting, my spotting increases a little more and now it's bright red. So I immediately get the Doppler, the Doppler out. We had taken it with us um, so that my parents could, you know, hear baby. And I hear that the baby's okay. I'm not cramping. Um, so 
we decide, you know, we can make it home. And I decide that I'll just go to the ER by myself when I get home, just, just to check on things. Um, so we get home and I take myself to the ER and, you know, I kind of tell them everything. I was just kind of blurted out all my information and I'm like, I'm 12 weeks, five days. I have a subchorionic hematoma. I've been bleeding for three weeks and now it's bright red. Um, you know, I told him that I had a Doppler and I've heard baby and just want to check on things. Um, and that I had had a previous miscarriage because I wanted to make sure that they were going to give me an ultrasound. Um, and they were all pretty skeptical about me in general and about, you know, my dates and me knowing kind of what was going on since I hadn't been seen by anybody. Um, it almost seemed like they didn't even believe that I was pregnant. You know, they told me that it was, I was likely hearing my own heartbeat on the Doppler, not the baby's, um, and that they would confirm whether or not I was pregnant. And so it kind of took forever for them to uh, finally get the ultrasound technician in there. But she finally comes in and uh, starts, you know, doing the ultrasound, puts the wand on my belly. And I see my baby on the screen and for the, you know, for the first time. And, and he's moving and he's completely upside down. He's like on his head with his feet, just like totally in the air. And the technician is kind of laughing and commenting. Um, and he's making it, you know, really difficult for her to do her measurements and stuff. And so we're in there for quite a while, just kind of waiting for him to move around and he's kicking around and stuff, but he was just upside down. And, and I just couldn't even believe it. Like I, even though I had been hearing his heartbeat for weeks at this point, and you know, I had just heard it and I could see him moving on the screen and everything. I was just, I had this like, oh, I was so nervous to ask how his heartbeat was just, you know, I think, cause we had never heard the heartbeat before. So that was like a super huge thing for me. And I just remember like building up the courage to ask how his heart looked. And, and then she right away, she was like, oh yeah, like he's totally fine. And, um, she's like, it's right on track. You know, the doctor will go over everything when he sees you. Um, and so that was just kind of like a huge breath of fresh air. Um, and so hours later, I was there for hours. The doctor finally comes in and, um, says that the baby is measuring, you know, basically perfectly 12 weeks, four days. So just like a day behind my dates, um, everything looks great. Heartbeat strong. I did have a small subchorionic hematoma that was like one centimeter by one centimeter. And it was behind the left um, corner of my placenta. And he told me that this was called a threatened abortion, which I absolutely hate. And I think that they need to change that wording. Um, and, but told me that, you know, everything I kind of already knew that, you know, it was likely going to heal on its own and, and kind of just to put myself on modified rest and to follow up with an OB. And so, so I left the ER uh, in pretty high spirits, you know, I felt validated in my ability to kind of know what was going on. And I felt, you know, confident and happy that I wasn't told anything that I wasn't expecting to be told. Um, and baby was fine. And so the next day I was, you know, almost 13 weeks. So I decided what the heck we were going to announce on social media. 
and we got all the support for our rainbow baby. Everyone was super excited and we started really getting excited about the fact that we were in our, you know, second trimester and the chances of us having another miscarriage went down to like less than 5%. And so we were kind of really hanging on to that. Um, and so, so now I've decided that, you know, I should seek care basically. Um, and so I get myself set up, I go home and I get myself set up with a midwife. And because of COVID and all the craziness and I hadn't been seen before, it took me a while. And so um, the, the earliest appointment I was able to schedule was when I was exactly 15 weeks. So it was a couple weeks of a wait. And in, in that two weeks, everything seemed to get a lot better. So my bleeding, my spotting had almost like completely stopped. And, um, and, and then I like passed, I passed a small clot. And so I kind of thought I was like, Oh, like that. I will, I was thinking that that was me like bleeding out the hematoma and maybe the clot was, I don't know, a part of the hematoma and it was like done because the bleeding was kind of over. I was like, oh, it must have, you know, healed itself and everything seemed to be going great. Um, and then about a week before that appointment, um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to look at my notes here. About a week before that appointment, my bleeding started again. And and so that was kind of concerning. And then it was like the day, no, a week, sorry, a week before my appointment is when I had stopped this bleeding. So I was like, oh, that's great. When we get to the appointment, I shouldn't see this hematoma anymore. And then it was like two days before the appointment, um, I started spotting again and now it was bright red. And so that was super concerning to me. Um, and I tried to get in a little earlier, but they weren't able to get me in until my scheduled appointment. Um, but, you know, I was checking on Doppler. I wasn't having cramps. Baby was fine. So I was, you know, still being positive, staying positive. Um, and now, you know, excited about getting an appointment and kind of moving in that direction of a pregnancy. Um, and so, so we go to our appointment. Um, my boyfriend came with me. And we see the midwife at first. And go over everything and she does the ultrasound and right away you can see that our baby is curled up like in a tight little ball and they have like the really crappy ultrasound machines so you couldn't really see anything um but you could definitely see that you know he he was curled up in a ball and wasn't wasn't really moving a lot and at this point, I still wasn't like super concerned. I, we just kind of remarked on, I was like, oh, like, you know, he's all scrunched up. And she kind of just like played it, played it down um, and referred me over to the maternal fetal medicine because their ultrasounds were a lot better. And so we leave there and we walk across the way and um, they weren't allowing any partners in at the time, but for whatever reason, they gave an exception to us. And 
um, they were going to allow him back, but he had to like wait out in the hall, not in the waiting area, so that like nobody else saw him basically and kind of got upset that he was allowed and they weren't allowed a partner, I guess. Um, and so he had to wait until I was like back in the room and then some nurse went out and found him and kind of like smuggled him back in there with me, which I was super, super thankful for. Um, and so we get in there and it's kind of the same, the same deal. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the chair and they have the screen above us on the large screen so we can kind of see everything that's going on. And she starts doing the ultrasound and, you know, we can see baby perfect and he's just scrunched up in this little ball and you can just visibly see that there's like not very much amniotic fluid in there. Um, but nobody's really acting super concerned and I didn't know much about that at that time. And so at this point, I'm not super concerned. Um, she's doing all of her measurements, you know, the baby's measuring perfectly fine. Um, we were able to confirm that we were having a boy. So we were, you know, super excited about that. And she was, you know, taking some photos for us and showing us all the things. And, you know, we got to hear his heartbeat and all that stuff, but he, he wasn't moving a lot. Like he was swallowing and kind of kicking a little bit, but not, wasn't moving very much. And that, that was starting to be really concerning to me. Um, and so we get done with the ultrasound and then the doctor comes back in and tells us that baby's measuring on track, heartbeat's fine, and he doesn't see a hematoma anymore. So, you know, not sure where the bleeding's coming from. We're assuming that the hematoma has healed itself now, um, but that I have visibly low fluid. And, you know, and that he again tells me that this is considered a threatened abortion. And but is telling us that we should be optimistic and that the chances of miscarrying this far along are so low and um and it's just not really giving us you know i guess the sense of doom that i feel like we should have had at this point um and it's just kind of like put me on rest and told me to you know up my fluids substantially and scheduled us to come back in a week to see if you know what's going on and if my fluids have gone up or not and so we leave that appointment and you know we we still felt pretty good like we were fine we were you know kind of concerned about that and we went and bought some juices and stuff and you know kind of got me set up to kind of be on more of a rest than I was already on. Um, and so we go home and then that entire day, almost immediately after that appointment, I was leaking amniotic fluid. And to me, it was just like blaringly obvious that that's what it was. There was no question in my mind that it could have been anything other than amniotic fluid. Um, and so I start like really freaking out and my boyfriend's trying to, you know, tell me that maybe it's the lubrication from the ultrasounds and discharge and probably totally normal and, you know, not to stress. And so I'm kind of, you know, feeling unheard and 
kind of freaking out and kind of feeling alone and like my worry and I'm doing now, now I'm Googling, um, which, you know, just put me into a spiral, a dark downward spiral. And I started kind of freaking out um, and seeing the, you know, statistics. It was like with low amniotic fluid, I think it was like 10% of babies survived or something. Um, that was just super discouraging. And it, I eventually had like an emotional breakdown um, later into the night and just kind of, you know, fell apart and yelled at my boyfriend and said he needed to take things more seriously and all this stuff. And looking back now, I think it was definitely, you know, a hormonal shift in what was, what was happening. Um, and so I leaked fluids all that night. I hardly got any sleep. I was getting up every couple hours and every time I got up, you know, I could feel that fluid had pooled. And as soon as I would sit on the toilet, it would just kind of like plop out. Um, and so I, I called the midwife as soon as, you know, they were open and just kind of told her that I thought I was leaking fluid. And she said basically exactly what my boyfriend said and that it was probably um, lubrication and waters rupturing at 15 weeks is super, super rare and, you know, highly unlikely. But, you know, if I was concerned and I wanted to come in and get an ultrasound and check and they could check and confirm if it was fluid or not for me, then I was more than welcome to do that. Um, so I can, I confirmed with her though, because I knew that if it was fluid, that they wouldn't do anything about it, you know, that they would basically tell me that there's 0% chance of the baby surviving and tell me that I needed to end the pregnancy or that the pregnancy would end, kind of no question about that. So I had her confirm that for me because I just kind of needed to hear that um, and, you know, decided no, like we don't, there's no point. Like, so we didn't, we decided not to go anywhere. Um, I was just going to stay at home and, you know, see, see what happened. And so everything kind of stopped after, after that, like almost, almost directly after that phone call, I stopped leaking fluid. Looking back now, it's, you know, I didn't, I'm sure I leaked all my fluid. Um, and I wasn't bleeding anymore. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe it was from the ultrasound, maybe, you know, whatever upset things. And, but now things seem to be, seem to be fine. And so we go throughout the day, you know, kind of just cautiously optimistic. And then later that night, it was probably like 10.30 or 11 p.m. We're downstairs and hanging out on the couch and I start getting some cramps. But they're like super mild cramps and like not even as bad as a period. Nothing even close to what I experienced through my first miscarriage, which I guess I had in my mind that, you know, that was a nine week miscarriage. So at 15 weeks, if I were to lose this baby, that there would be these like, you know, huge obvious signs that it would be this horrible labor that would probably be so much worse than the first time around. So that's kind of what I was expecting, you know, if, if that's what was happening. So I wasn't thinking much of it. Um, but then it started, you know, it was, they weren't going away and they still were mild, but they were consistent enough for me to start paying attention to them and start 
trying to be aware of whether they were wrapping around my back um, to, to my abdomen and whether or not they felt like contractions. And, and they did. Um, and so, but again, it was super mild. So I was trying, you know, not, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that like this was labor at all. Like if anything, I was thinking this might be, you know, the start. Um, but that, you know, last time it was like 14 hours or something. So, you know, I thought it would be a long, a long journey. Um, and so it's getting really uncomfortable. So I, I decided to tell my boyfriend, I'm going to go upstairs and take a, a warm shower and see if that helps. And, and I go upstairs and I sit on the toilet to use the restroom and I felt this pressure enter my birth canal and I reached down and I felt something and at first I immediately the first thing that went to my mind was oh my god it's the cord and it's a prolapsed cord and like that's an emergency we need to go to the hospital and like that's just running through my mind all this everything I know about a prolapsed cord um and so I'm thinking you know I need to push it back up so I, I reach I reach down and feel and and I'm feeling that it is not a cord and that it's hard and so I look down and I see my baby boy's foot um, sticking out of me and it was like this perfect little foot you know with ten little toes and I was just in absolute shock, like had no idea that this was even, you know, like possible. I guess I did, but like, I was just like, oh my God, like had no idea what to think and had again, like no emotional response. I was just in absolute shock. My jaw was just hanging open. Um, and I called my boyfriend like on the phone because um, he was downstairs and we lived in, you know, a fairly big house at the time. And I was kind of calm on the phone. And I was just like, you need to come upstairs right now. And so he came upstairs and I'm, I'm not even crying at this point. And I know I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm not having the emotional response that I should be having right now. And, and then he comes into, you know, he, he opens the door and, and I just, all I can say is he's coming out of me. And like, that's when it hit me was when, you know, when I said he's coming out of me and, and my boyfriend was so amazing and he just, no questions, no nothing. He didn't hesitate. He was just like, okay. And just rushed over. And, you know, and he grabbed me and by, you know, the back of my neck and kind of put his forehead against my forehead and, was just really there for me and you know was telling me it's not my fault and you know saying asking if I was okay and telling me that I could do this and asking me if it hurt and if you know if if this was okay for us to do at home and I was telling him yes and and he grabbed all these towels and you know put them around me and he was just kind of like going a thousand miles a minute and rushing around looking for again looking for something to put our baby in and and I knew he had bought me this jewelry box 
from Oregon, you know, within the last year. And very morbidly, even at the time that he bought me that box, I had thought how perfect of a box it would have been to put like our baby in the first time around and how it it would be a perfect box to put our baby in if it were to happen again. So I immediately knew and told him to get the jewelry box. And so he kind of dumped everything out and had that ready. Um, and and then he, you know, he he kind of got a glimpse of of the baby's foot hanging out of me. So we have the um, the hue bulbs, and so he like ran and went and got one of the hue bulbs and turned off the bathroom lights and just put on like really dim, uh, relaxing lighting, which was actually like super helpful because it seemed very just you know the lights were blaring on us and this baby was you know coming out of me and it was just very very traumatic um and so he's helping me labor and not much is happening like I said my contractions were like super mild it wasn't really helping me along um and so I decided to get on my hands and knees in front of the toilet and you know I want to labor that way and so he helps me get on my hands and my knees and um, you know, just kind of helping me through it, you know, telling me I can do it and that, you know, life's not fair and all this saying, all saying all the right things in the moment. Um, and I was bleeding a lot. And so I wanted to get in the shower. I was just bleeding all over the place. Um, and before that I'd, I'd, um, moved more of his body out I could feel that more of him was out and this whole time I just like had my hand down there I didn't want to move my hand because I was terrified of him just falling out of me um, and so I was kind of holding his body in my hand um, and I could feel that more of him had come out so I told Jesse to turn on the light I needed to see and so he turned on the light real quick and I looked down and I could see like my whole baby's body and you know it was his legs and his little arms were out in my hand and I just said oh my god my baby oh my god my baby and Jesse saw one glimpse of that and turned the lights right back off um and so then he helped me in the shower you know this is basically just had to birth his head which I was kind of confused I was like why you know why isn't this just coming out you know he's so small why am I having to like push his head out um and so I'm in the shower and Jesse's got you know a hot hot towel that he's like washing me off the whole time like as as I'm gushing blood with with each gush of blood he's you know kind of washing it off my legs for me um and and I get on my hands and my knees again. And then I, I finally, you know, I'm just like, my body's not doing this. So I push with all my might. And he, I, I birth his head and I feel him, you know, he, he landed in, in my hand and I felt him move. And he moved his arms and his legs in my hand and 
and the lights were really dim. So I go back and forth on whether or not I think that was a good thing because I didn't really see my baby when he was alive. But I also don't know if I would have wanted to. I don't know if he tried to breathe or what. Um, and so I was like, oh my God, he moved. And Jesse kind of freaked out and was like, was like, do I call 911? Like, what do we do? And, you know, and I gently told him, I was like, no, like, you know, there's, they can't do anything. He's too little. Um, and, and he accepted that right away. You know, he was like, okay. And by the time we were done with that very short conversation, um, he was, he was still, and he was, he was gone. Um, and, and in the moment, it was really weird. It was like, we totally just like glossed over that. We like kind of, I think, chose to disregard the fact that he came out living. Um, it was just too much in the moment. It was all so fast and we, you know, weren't prepared for it at all. This was maybe like 20, 30 minutes total. Um, and and his placenta, you know, and I knew I needed to birth his placenta, so that was kind of where my focus was at at that point. And Jesse, my boyfriend, asked if we needed to cut the cord, and I told him that I didn't want to. I wanted the placenta to come out. I wanted them to be together. I wanted them to stay attached. Um, and he was, you know, totally okay with that. Um, and I tried to labor. I tried to continue, you know, laboring the placenta out, but everything had stopped at this point. I wasn't, I wasn't bleeding at all. I wasn't cramping at all. Like labor was just, just stopped. Um, so I eventually, you know, was like, okay, like this isn't happening. Um, and every time I was trying to move, the cord was, was pulling, was pulling on the baby. Um, we had laid, laid him down. Jesse had gotten a little, one of my shirts, and we had laid him down in the shower next to me. Um, and so Jesse went and got me some scissors and I cut his cord. And then we were gonna, you know, put him in his little jewelry box. Um, and Jesse, my boyfriend asked me if I wanted to bathe him first. And I said, yes. Um, so I held baby Jesse as my boyfriend, you know, kind of poured some water, gently poured some water over him and washed his little body off and made sure that he was clean. And we got one of his onesies and, you know, made sure that it was nice and comfy in there for him. And my boyfriend just set him in there and closed up his little box and set him on the bathroom counter. Um, and I was still in the shower, still trying to see if the placenta would come. And at this point, I could see my boyfriend was just like freaking out. And he started saying that he needed, he needed to walk to the store. We live like a mile away from the store and walk there like every single day. Um, and I could just tell, you know, he, he needed to get out and he needed a moment and, and I was totally fine with that, you know, and I could tell that he was really conflicted in not wanting to leave me. Um, but I told him it was fine. I told him to go. Don't worry about me. That I would be fine. We would be okay. And that I'd call him if I needed him. Um, 
and so so he leaves and that was kind of my time to break down and kind of have my moment and so I kind of had my moment I was still very very numb though still very very numb um and kind of broke down in the shower and nothing was happening I was trying to do nipple stimulation and stuff and it was just you know labor was completely stopped um so I got out of the shower and I I just grabbed my baby's box and I sat on the floor and I held him and I kind of gathered up my courage and I opened up this little box and I looked at my son. I turned the lights on and and he was perfect. He was beautiful. It was it was the most humbling, traumatizing thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, to see life half formed and how perfect and beautiful he was and I could see through him I could see you know all of his intestines and his little rib cage and his little organs and it was it was the most traumatizing I just could not believe that I just birthed my baby and this was him in a little box in my arms and I just sat there and I held him and I cried and then my boyfriend my boyfriend found me like that he came back and and he didn't say anything he just sat on the floor with me and I had closed up his box at this point and we both just kind of held each other and held our boy and cried together as a family and just kind of sat there and fell apart and I asked him if he wanted to look at him and my boyfriend at the time said no um which was fine and we had no idea what to do with ourselves um we eventually pulled ourselves up off the floor um we knew that the placenta needed you know we were still waiting on the placenta so we decided that we were going to go downstairs and try to pass some time um and then my boyfriend, you know, before we went downstairs, he he just kind of sweetly asked, he was like, can we just lay on the bed together just for a minute? And so I just held him, we just laid together and I just held him and we just fell apart again. Um, oh, it was hard at that moment. It was, it was almost more important for me. I was so numb emotionally to myself that it being a comfort to my boyfriend was kind of like really what I needed at the time and kind of gave me a purpose in to what to do with myself. Um, so I felt like I was kind of handling it a little better in the moment than he was. Um, and so we eventually go downstairs and just kind of spent the night going through all of these like really deep hard talks and debates about we contemplated you know our the destination of our baby's souls depending on whether we cremated or buried him and i've always been you know one that i would prefer cremation um but i'm also not really attached to the idea of you know it it necessarily making a difference um for the afterlife on what you do 
So my boyfriend was really, you know, conflicted and had kind of come to the conclusion that he wanted to bury our baby. And so I agreed to that. Um, and, you know, we, we mourned for our first baby. I don't think we really were able to mourn for our first loss until this one after really kind of seeing you know that yeah that this was a baby and it kind of hit us that you know our last one was in fact a baby also um and so you know we talked about that and being sad that we weren't able to do anything really special for her um and it was just a really long night um i was i was waiting for my placenta, I was doing like abdominal massage and stuff. And at first I had given it two hours. It's like, if it doesn't come in two hours, we should probably go to the hospital. But then I was talking um, in one of my Facebook groups to a midwife and, you know, she was kind of talking me through everything. And so I felt confident that, you know, as long as I wasn't showing any signs of infection and stuff that we could just kind of wait on the placenta. Um, and so we finally decided to go to bed. And it was really, really late. Um, and so we go upstairs and go to bed. And, you know, I I couldn't even look. Like, I couldn't even look at his box. He was sitting there on the bookshelf at the end of our bed. And I, like, consciously avoided even looking at him because I was just so traumatized by the fact that he was there and not inside of me. And so I just walked by him and I went to bed and then my boyfriend came up shortly after me uh, and just made me feel like a bad mom because he is so amazing and he just went immediately over to the baby and so gently, you know, kissed his box and told his boy that he loved him and then came into bed. And in that moment, I just fell head over heels. You know, I, I already loved him, but I knew that, you know, I wanted this man to be the father of my children. And he was such an amazing man. Um, and that just broke me. Um, so, so the next day we get up and, you know, I told my parents and we had no idea how to go about um figuring out arrangements you know for our baby and couldn't even start to think you know it, it was still just so fresh and all happened so quickly we had no time to prepare um and so i asked my parents if they could just handle it for us and thank god they did um so the the first funeral home they contacted it was like three minutes away from where we lived at the time and the funeral director had also lost a baby at 20 weeks, so she was just super understanding and super helpful. And, um, so that ended up working out really great. Um, and we were able to relay, you know, through text messages with my parents, and they were talking on the phone with them. And we got the measurements of his box and determined that it was small enough to fit completely inside of their casket. And so we wouldn't have to move him out of his box um, and that they would come pick him up whenever we were ready. So um, I had, I had needed to get um, 
tinctures also. I wanted to get some tinctures, Angelica and Shepard's purse, that were supposed to help um, bring along contractions and then um, stop hemorrhaging if it were to happen. And then the funeral home had also told us that we would need to put um, the box inside of a, of a bag, like a, a sealed bag before giving it to them. So we had to go to the store and, you know, try to figure out what size Ziploc bag we could fit our baby's jewelry box inside of. And that was just awful. Um, and so we go out and do that and get back to the house and and then call them up and, you know, arrange for them to come pick them up that, that afternoon. And so I, I decided that, you know, I wanted to put some, some stuff in his box for him. And so we put some, I put some gems in there. I put this turquoise stone that my sister-in-law had gotten me when we lost the first baby, because that would have been a birthstone. And so I put that in there so it was kind of, you know, like a sister could be with him and put a couple other gems in there, like the crystal quartz that I had found um, when I was super early pregnant with him and a couple other things like Apache tears and stuff. Um, and then I told Jesse that I wanted to cleanse his body with sage and kind of, you know, say goodbye. And so he came upstairs with me and and I also just wanted to give him another opportunity and myself um but to see our baby and to say goodbye to our baby um so so I you know light my sage and I get up and I open up his box and start cleansing his body and and my boyfriend kind of slowly gets up and stands next to me and and looks at his boy and you know we we say our goodbyes and we tell him how much we love him and how sorry we are that you know he wasn't able to be born so that he could live and just that we would miss him so so much and we both you know we touched his little foot and and it was hard i wanted to hold him and i wanted to kiss him and touch him more but his skin was like he was very sticky and I was really afraid of ripping his skin so we didn't touch him a whole lot but we both you know touched his little foot and kind of kissed him goodbye and and then we closed his box for for the last time um and we took him downstairs and we waited for the for the lady to come pick him up and we, we kind of waited until the last minute to put him in a stupid bag. I absolutely hated that. Um, that was really hard to do. Um, but we had to put him, you know, in this Ziploc bag. And then uh, Jesse, my boyfriend, you know, didn't want the lady to take him. So he walked him himself out to the car and wrapped his box, you know, in this little blanket and put him in the back seat kissed him goodbye and told him he loved him and again just broke my heart with like how he I just like watched him turn into into a dad and it was it was heartbreaking um and so we go back inside and I just lose it 
And I was just stammering about how I couldn't believe that, you know, 24 hours ago, I, you know, was listening to his heartbeat inside my belly and he was alive and well inside of me. And now he was dead and gone and outside of me. And that was it, you know, and it was all so soon. And we just didn't know what to do with ourselves. Um, This time around, I knew that, you know, we should have support. I, I felt okay without it. I felt like we could do it, but I was also at least aware enough to realize that like we probably needed some support. Um, so we asked my parents to come stay with us and planned for the funeral, which was like nine days later. And my dad was a pastor, he used to be a pastor. And so we asked him to come and perform, you know, a small ceremony at the funeral for our boy. And they said, of course. And so they were there with us and we just did a lot of staring at walls that that whole week. And and we're generally okay. Everyone commented on how, you know, okay we seemed to be for what we were going through, but I think we were both just very, very numb and in shock. And and so during this whole time we're still waiting for my placenta. My placenta still hasn't come out. Um and, you know, I'm taking tinctures every few hours just in case I'm doing abdom- abdominal massage, I'm doing nipple stimulation, all the things. It's just not budging, nothing's happening. Um, and then the morning of his funeral, it was that next Thursday, um, I wake up and I'm just like gushing blood. I'm bleeding heavily. I'm passing huge clots, like fist sized clots every time I go to the bathroom and I know that you know I'm uh releasing my placenta right now and and it just seemed very obvious to me that um my body wasn't able to kind of let it go until the funeral you know kind of until we let him go um and so so that's how we start the day and then you know we get ready and, and we go to the cemetery and and I'm just gushing blood this whole time and we barely get there and within 10 minutes I have to go and change my pad in the bathroom. I don't know if I'm even gonna make it without bleeding all over the place. Um, but we show up and, and they have his uh, casket on a table and it's all nice and they have flowers and candles set up and everything and it's just like this nice private room for us to go in and kind of say goodbye um before the burial and and it it was just the hardest like we still were just so had no idea what to do with ourselves and it was kind of awkward we just kind of sat there and stared at our baby's box in this little coffin and and, you know, we cried and we touched it and just didn't know what to do. And I had this overwhelming urge. I wanted him to open his box so bad and say goodbye to him one last time and look at him one last time. But I was so terrified of what I would see. You know, I didn't know if he would be decomposing and I didn't know if they would have like dressed him up because we didn't dress him up, you know, and, for me, it was like he came into this world naked and like, why dress him up and pretend that, you know, I don't know. Just to me, I wanted him to kind of come into the world naked and go out naked. Um, and so I didn't want to see if they had dressed him up 
or swaddle them or anything. And so, so I didn't look. And then finally, you know, we tell them that we're ready and the funeral director comes in and kind of gives me one last chance before putting the lid on. And I tell her, you know, I'm ready. Um, and then me and my boyfriend had to carry this little tiny, tiny casket out to the burial site. And it was the most awful thing you know, nobody should have to do that. And it was just dead silent. Nobody said a word. And we just, I just bawled this whole walk and could barely control myself. And then, you know, we get to this little site that's all set up for us. And it's just this tiny, tiny, tiny hole in the ground. And I'm just trying not to lose it. And then the lid is on crooked. And so before they can set him down, they're having to like, shimmy on his lid which is just like driving me insane watching them do that and they finally get it on and, and so we have his funeral my dad you know did a short and sweet little sermon we aren't very religious and so we kind of kept it kind of neutral for us um to be honest I have no idea what he said um and I had written out my own letter I didn't know if I would be able to even, you know, read it without just falling apart. And I was super proud of myself because I was able to read it. And I'd wrote it to both of my babies and, you know, kind of wrote it for me and Jesse because I knew Jesse wasn't, you know, going to kind of be able to write out a letter or whatever for himself. Um, and so I was really proud of myself because I made it all the way through that. And I said goodbye to my baby. And, and then my boyfriend, you know, asked them to lower his casket and we all kind of put our flowers in there and, and then they asked us whether we wanted to stay while they buried him or not. And we didn't. And so we left and then my parents, they had to go to my brothers and watch my nephews like directly after that. So, so then it was just me and my boyfriend and we you know we're back to life after loss and this happened um july 15th of this year so it's still you know super super fresh um life after losing jesse has been very different than after lily we did eventually both agree um on just deciding our first baby was a girl and we named her lily um but this time around you know we the emotions weren't quite as overwhelming i think because we kind of had been through it before um but I knew I was numb and from my last experience, I knew it would hit, which, you know, now a few months later, it's definitely starting to hit me a lot harder than it was at the beginning. Um, and since then, you know, I never went and got checked right away. I had an appointment like a few weeks later, I finally called up the midwives because the funeral home like needed me to for records um, and scheduled like a checkup appointment and um but everything was fine um and i just recently so 
I had an appointment with uh, maternal fetal medicine. They wanted me to wait for like three months um, for my body to get back to normal before even like speaking to them, which at the time I was just like, okay, but now like I'm kind of annoyed with the fact that I kind of have let it go on for so long without getting any answers from anybody. Um, and so I just recently had an appointment like last week, finally, um, with the specialist to kind of go over what happened. And they just told me that the hemorrhage, they, they were thinking that the hemorrhage had basically like shocked my placenta into not properly working. And that's why, you know, my fluid was so low. Um, and then that I was, you know, obviously I was leaking fluid that day, but when they had checked me, my cervix was long and closed and there was no sign of like uh, cervical incompetence, which is what I was kind of concerned about. Um, and um, that they wanted to test me for blood clotting disorders, but that was it. And so um, I just did my testing for blood clotting and I just got the results back like this morning. And so I need to call um, and make an appointment and kind of go over what that is. But they basically told me that, you know, if I'm positive the next pregnancy, they would put me on low dose aspirin and heparin. And um, if I'm negative that they would put me on low dose aspirin just for the heck of it. And just kind of, he was like, well, you know, try again, wish for the best, which isn't, you know, what anybody really wants to hear. Um, but we're kind of in a weird limbo spot because, you know, I'm, I'm desperate for a baby. You know, I, after two losses and wanting to be a mom forever, like I just, now I'm terrified of pregnancy and I just kind of want to get it over with. Um, and, but my boyfriend is, you know, and we were never trying to conceive in the first place. So it's not something that I, I feel like, you know, I can kind of push. Um, but my boyfriend definitely, we had a conversation about it and he wants to, you know, he's very, very sentimental and just feels like that, that isn't enough time. He wants to wait and he wants to grieve and he doesn't want our babies, you know, to feel like we're replacing them or disrespecting them, which, you know, you can't, can't argue with that. Um, so it's kind of left us in a weird limbo place of not trying but we also agreed that you know to stay active I guess and like that I would stay on prenatals because again I'm not on birth control we weren't trying the first two times um and so we're aware that this you know could happen again and agreed that I should stay proactive basically about like everything and meeting with doctors and stuff but that we were just not going to actively try and so that's kind of what we're doing um and since then, I've, I think, handled it a little better from having gone through it once before. I kind of advocated for myself and, like, got the support and started joining, you know, a bunch of Facebook groups, which I'd never even considered doing the first time. And they've been so helpful, you know, just listening to other women. Um, and then I found this podcast, like, right away and just like devoured every single episode. Like I've been nonstop listening um, and that's really helped. And it's really made me want to refocus my whole career on um, like infertility massage um, and like bereavement doula um, and just kind of help other women who have gone through something similar. Um, and 
I guess it's kind of helped me to feel like I can turn this into something good and kind of, you know, find a purpose and honor my babies in some way um, by, you know, creating, creating my life work around them a little bit. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Now, I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? I, um, I would say not being afraid to just tell people what you need because nobody knows, you know, nobody knows what you need and what they should say or what they should do. And, you know, they're most of the time not going to know unless you tell them. And I found that before I would get really frustrated, um, with people just kind of not responding the way I wanted them to. And I've kind of now just accepted that nobody, you know, I can't get mad at them for it and that I need to just kind of speak up for what I need. And that's actually helped a lot because most times, you know, people are just going to be like, okay, and do that, you know, rather than, you know, you give them something to do something specific and it makes it a little easier for them. So true. Uh, If somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is Kaori Namaste, um, K-A-O-R-I-N-A-M-A-S-T-E. And then um, my Facebook is just uh, my first and last name. And I think it's public. Um, so yeah, anybody can go ahead and reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story. I know it's like super fresh too. So I just yeah. appreciate you feeling the pull to share Uh, it's going to help so many people and I just think that you're awesome for doing it so thank you of course thank you so much for having me Shelly yeah we'll chat soon you'll have to keep us posted okay I will thanks thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories tag myself tag my guest so that we can personally Thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.